Well, as we were singing that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, we all recognize that the Christian life is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about walking with Jesus Christ. It's all about talking and to him and by prayer and, and listening to his word and trusting him in what he has said. It's all about Jesus Christ. And as we recognize that it's all about Jesus, we recognize also we have an enemy who wants to uh, pull us away from that relationship, to cause that relationship to be divided or strained or whatever it might be. The Apostle Paul, as Bob read earlier in Acts 20, was very concerned and in his final words to the Ephesian elders shared to them that from among their own selves men would arise speaking perverse things. And he said uh, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. There is a real danger to our walk with Jesus Christ. And so often we think that real danger to the walk of Jesus Christ is somewhere else. But as we're going to see today, that real danger is within the body of Christ. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to see how we can keep from being exploited by false teachers as we understand the true, genuine threats to our growth in Jesus Christ. Now the context of the book of... Uh, Second Peter, we've seen so far that the Apostle Peter is writing to believers who have a same faith as theirs. True believers have the same faith as the Apostles had, trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. And we've seen that the book of Second Peter is simply about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then also about the threats that are, in, that are possible that might cause us not to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ that might cause us to be tripped up in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll remember that we have seen, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. It's through this, it's the, it's through this true knowledge that we grow in the context of the Word of God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we saw within that God has given us his word, given us everything we need. And within that, he calls upon us to act by faith, to, to step out in faith in accordance to what we know about Christ and in our relationship with him based on the word of God. We should be manifesting the character of Christ in real time, exhibiting moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And if we are manifesting these things, it is an evidence that by faith we are trusting in Jesus, we, his word is working in us, and we are neither useful or unfruitful in our relationship with Jesus. And then the, piece, the, the, the apostle Peter said very clearly that he was always ready to remind us of these things, that it was, it was the right thing to stir us up by way of reminder, that we would be able to recall these things to mind, and the believers there, after he left. These were the Apostle Peter's final words as the Lord had made it clear that his death was imminent. His going to the Lord was, was soon. And then we saw Peter remind them of the absolute reliability of the more sure word. More sure than any experience, even an experience that is a genuine one. Peter having an experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. But we have the prophetic word made more sure, which we do well to pay attention we have the scriptures which we need to listen to and heed. 
Otherwise, our relationship with Jesus is going to be hindered, as we're going to see. Now, last time we were together, we saw that Peter made it clear that we need to know something. We need to know something first and foremost. That no prophecy of the written word, Scripture, literally becomes one's own personal interpretation. Why? Because no prophecy ever came by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. God's Word is simply that, God's Word, and thus in context, we need to heed it. It is the means in which we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's from this point he moves into chapters 2 and 3 in which we have a contrast with God's sufficient Word, which is everything we need, to those who would attack the sufficiency of the Word of God and are a danger to our walk with Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, would you turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you're not already there. And actually, I want to back up to chapter 1, verse 19, and then read through our passage. 2 Peter 1, 19, And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Then our passage. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We're going to see today the reality that false teachers will arise within the church. And we're going to see what they will do and the effect it will have on the body of Christ, and then what God will do and what God will do in relationship to them. So with this in mind, how can we keep from being exploited? Well, first of all, we need to recognize God makes it clear that they will arise within the body of Christ. Look at uh, verse verse 1 of chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just just as there will also be false teachers among you. That's a pretty scary statement when you think about it. Notice he begins with the term but. There's a contrast here. In contrast to God's word, which is of no one's interpretation, you can't take what you want to make out of it. It's God's intended meaning. He spoke. It's from him. In context to that, or contrast, there's going to be bad guys that arise. In contrast to the word of God, which is sufficient for everything that God uses it, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. In contrast to that, there are bad guys, as we're going to say. He says, but, but, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. You see, you've got the Word of God. You've got everything you need by the power of the Spirit in the context of faith for your relationship with Jesus. But there's going to be dangers and threats to that. And Peter, in his final words, shares this truth. You see, the statement 
here is a statement of fact. Look at verse uh, 1 again. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. This is a statement of fact that we must understand, that we must grasp, because if we don't, we might be exploited by false teachers who share false words. We might be carried away by the error of unprincipled men, as we see, and fall from our own steadfastness, chapter 3, verse 17. There are real, genuine dangers to our walk with Jesus Christ. Real, genuine dangers. There are those who would come in, as we're going to see, who would subvert, diminish, attack, lessen, dismiss, or twist the Word of God. So Peter reminds them right away about something that has happened as a basis for something that will happen. You know, it's interesting, if you recognize certain things that have happened and there is a warning about something in the future, those things strengthen that because you know of that real event. For instance, someone might warn, they'll say there's credible information that there might be another attack like 9-11. Just like 9-11, there's going to be another one. You see, we have a better picture of what's going on. And notice what he says here. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. You know something from before, you've seen it, you understand it, and you're reminded of it, and those examples help us understand what is coming in the future. Notice he's referring to the fact among God's people, God's chosen people, Israel, there were false prophets who arose among the people. Now we're going to get to this term false prophet in a minute, but we've seen what prophets are in our, as we looked in Matthew chapter uh, 7, and we've seen what false prophets are. But a prophet is one who speaks for God, one who says, thus saith the Lord. And there were prophets, God's true prophets in, in, in Israel, but there were also false prophets. We looked at this before, but turn to Jeremiah 23. We see what true prophets do. What true prophets do. Jeremiah 23, verse 21, and you'll keep your finger in there because we're going to go back to it in a minute after I read this. The Lord God says, I did not send these prophets, Jeremiah 23, 21, but they ran. I didn't speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Prophets, true prophets, spoke for God. They spoke His word. We saw that in, in earlier. I just read it in First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, right? For no prophecy was ever made of an act of human will. But men moved along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It never came from man. It never came from their imagination. It never came from anything. They spoke for God. But we see back in Second Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people. Pseudo-prophetes, false, untrue. They're not true prophets, they're false. And he's making to the point that there have always been false prophets, as we see. There always have. They arose among the people. I shared this passage last week, but in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30. An appalling, horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets who prophesy falsely, 
and the priests who rule in their own authority. And my people love it so. He's talking about the reality that Israel was riddled with false prophets. You look in the Old Testament, you see throughout there were God's true prophets telling them to repent of their sin, and there were God's and there were the false prophets who were not God's who were sharing, hey, you're okay with God. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Everything's good. Throughout. And you can read in Jeremiah chapter 23 later on, but throughout there, there's a description of these false prophets who, who, who speak from the deception of their, of their own hearts. They prophesy false things, dreams. They relate them. They lead God's people away, astray with falsehood. So everyone at this time Peter is writing understood there used to be and there were false prophets in Israel. And you look back in the scriptures, you go, hey, that's what was there. That's what was there. So he says back in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you. Peter is warning of the reality that in the church those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who have believed in him, those who are true believers, there will be false prophets who arise among you, just as surely as it has happened and did happen in Israel, it will happen among you. The absolute certainty, it's true. It's in the midst. And, the, and who is the you here? As we look at it, they will arise. There will also be false teachers among you. That you, if you look back in chapter 1, are those who have a like faith in Jesus Christ. They're true believers. They're going to arise among you among you there will be in your midst they will be literally so some of you might be saying how is it that false teachers would be a threat to believers they've already come to faith in jesus christ well first of all they're obviously a threat to entering into the kingdom those who aren't saved and certainly in the church there are those who haven't trusted in christ yet that god is working on hopefully drawing to himself that they might respond But we also know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the way that we grow is by his word. We grow in our relationship with Jesus. As we saw earlier, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises. We have them. And so false teachers will twist those things to exploit us, as we're going to see, so that we would be ineffective in our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus would basically be null and stunted. Very serious thing because our relationship with Jesus is everything. It's everything. As we're going to see, they will try to exploit with false words. But we know from Scripture, from 1 Timothy chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and 1 Thessalonians 2, that God uses His Word to grow us in respect to salvation, our relationship with Jesus. And so Satan, through his guys, his bad guys, attacks that, as we're going to see. Now on a side note, notice how the Apostle Peter at the end of his life says, there were false prophets and there will be false teachers. I believe Peter is alluding to the reality that God at no longer at this point was speaking through prophets, but he was, his word was completed and being finished at this point, and he would then speak through those who would teach his word. Now, certainly later on, there would be false prophets who would arise, people who claim to be prophets, but ultimately, there would be those within the church who would be false teachers. 
He's saying that right here. There will be false teachers. So with this in mind, notice what he says. He says, There will be false teachers who arise among you or in your midst. In your midst. The reality is real. There's going, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And for us, this is hard to take in. We go, well, how is that going to happen? It's hard to think that people would deliberately twist things to manipulate people. That they would be that evil to do so. But he says it will happen. And these would come up from within the church. He says they will be in you or among you. Now, we read Acts 20 earlier, but I want to read it again. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is called the Ephesian elders, and he knows them very well. He spent three years teaching them. He spent three years teaching the church, and he calls them to Miletus to share his final words. He shares the basis of the ministry that Christ had done through him, which was the word of God. And then he shares his concern for threats to that Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very important. You better guard the sheep. You better shepherd them. You better feed a sheep, right? And notice what he says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then look at verse 30. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking twisted things or perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul was sharing the threats were coming and he was concerned about them. Threats to your relationship with Jesus, which is everything. Threats to your relationship with Jesus. Just like it happened to Israel, it will happen in the church. That's what Peter is saying. It's absolutely certain. So brothers and sisters, let's not be naive. There will be in the midst of the church false teachers. They're not God's teachers. They're false teachers. But they portray themselves to be such. They disguise themselves, right? We saw last week in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing or or shepherd's clothing. They portray themselves to be his shepherds. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And God is warning us, but God is gracious because if we're willing to heed the word and be built up, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men. If we're willing to, to grow in his word and understand and be able to discern we won't get caught up by these things. We'll take the warnings and heed them. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, or workers of deceit, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising, or not, we don't marvel at it, if his servants also disguise themselves as, ser- as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. 
This is something that's hard for us to grasp. People disguise themselves. They are actually portraying themselves as something that they are not. That's what Satan does, and that's what his servants do. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in his final words to Timothy. He says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And when you read that up to that point, you think, man, I could spot these guys really quick, couldn't I? Well, notice the next word, next sentence. Holding to a form of godliness. These people are people who claim to follow the Lord. He says, godliness, although they have denied its power and such and avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected as regards to faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also, as also that of those came to be. But you followed my teaching, my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to proceed from bad to worse. Brothers and sisters, back in our passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter is not saying that it might happen. He is saying that it will happen, inspired by the Spirit. God is warning us, just like in Old Testament Israel, how bad guys arose amongst Israel, the same thing will happen in the church, among you, among believers. Among believers. It's not talking about cults and false places over there. He's talking about among believers. This will happen. They will arise among you. The threat is real. It happened and it will happen. Guaranteed because God says so. And the threat, as we're going to see, is a threat in regards to the Word of God, that which God uses to grow us in our relationship with Jesus. That's where the threat is. That's where these attacks are going to be. False teachers... Will also false teachers, there will be also false teachers among you. So, the first thing, how can we avoid being exploited by false teachers, which there are a lot of believers being exploited by false teachers? I'll tell you that right now. How can we avoid by being exploited? First of all, we need to know that they will come. They will come. First thing. The second thing, we need to know what they do. Actually, what is it that they will do and what awaits them? 
Again, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Notice and listen what, what he says here. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. What will they do when they come up in the midst of, of the body of Christ? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even to the point, as we're going to see, of denying the master who bought them. There's, this term secretly introduced means just that. In secret, something is interjected. It is introduced. It is introduced in a way that is, there's one translation, on the sly. It's slipped in. It's brought in in a way that is, that is secret. It is secretly introduced. Now the term heresy here comes from a word in the Greek that speaks of divisions and factions. And ultimately that's what the word initially meant, but what heresies do is they actually do divide the church up. They create factions. They create factions. And notice he says destructive. These teachings bring spiritual ruin. And this is among believers. And there are a lot of spiritually, temporarily ruined believers in the body of Christ whose relationship with Jesus is basically nil because they have bought into these destructive heresies. They have been exploited, as we will see, by false words. They have been carried away by the error of unprincipled men. They have not held their steadfastness, which we, if we are equipped and we understand the truth and we trust in the Lord, will not be carried away. False teachers will secretly introduce things that ruin your walk with Jesus. Well, what ruins your walk with Jesus? Our walk is by faith through the truth of God, right? Those are the attacks where we begin to rely on ourselves, we become prideful, whatever it might be, we don't take God's word for what it really is in certain elements, even though believers believe it's God's word. False teachers will secretly introduce things that will ruin your walk, destroy your walk with Jesus temporarily, that you would be ineffective and not useful or fruitful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. They do it in secret. It is not obvious it is in secret. It is slipped in. It is a slight addition. It is a slight twist. It is secretive, and we need to see this. There is danger out there in the church. So we need to know the Word of God so that when someone twists the Word of God or puts a slight twist on it, we do not fall captive to those deceptive things and become tossed to and fro and baited by the trickery of men and deceitful scheming. So notice, these destructive heresies can go ultimately as far as the ultimate heresy. Look at verse 1 again. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, that's believers, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even, you could say this, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. He's not saying every false teacher is going to introduce that heresy of denying Jesus. He's saying it can go up even to that point even to the point of denying the master. So don't think the heresy that they bring is denying the master. It goes all the way up to that point. Now this phrase, denying the master who bought them, is speaking in reference to the false teachers in context. 
And then this phrase has brought a lot of or caused a lot of consternation and spiritual gyration in interpreters who hold to a hyper-Calvinistic viewpoint rather than letting the scriptures say what they say. There's been a lot of song and dances interpreters say, what does this mean? How can it be that false teachers who are on their way in context to destruction have a master who bought them? How is this? How is this? Now the issue that's being spoken of here, theologians call the extent of the atonement. And that's not what this passage is about, so I'm not going to make the sermon about that, but I want to share a brief piece of that and then go back to the important portion of this passage. The question is, for whom did Christ die for? Who did he die for? Did he die for everyone or did he die only for the elect? For whom does his, 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 uh, his work on the cross apply to? Who is it open to? The extent of the atonement. Now I've heard it said by hard five-point Calvinists that use logic and reason that, that no one would ever say that Jesus died for everyone but only the elect. Because if he died for everyone, then he failed in saving everyone. Well, is it just reason? Let's just settle that aside. Let's listen to what scripture has to say. We know ultimately that the work on the cross that Jesus did will only apply to those who believe in him, right? Bottom line, he died for our sins, but that will only apply to those who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the elect. That's the reality is. It's only going to apply to those who believe. That's biblical, right? So we see that. But also, there's what about the offer of salvation? Some would say through reason, then the offer of salvation is not genuine. Well, the reality is, Scripture shows that it is. We see in Second Tim, or Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The offer is genuine to every person. And if you reject it, you reject it on your own, and you receive the punishment in your sins. We see in First Timothy, turn to First Timothy chapter 2. We need to be careful that we don't allow certain doctrines to, to override other portions of Scripture. We need to see all Scripture on, on a level and the things we don't understand, how it works out. We need to say, I'm not God. We're not God. God is. We don't understand those things. But this is what he says, and I believe it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. After talking about praying for those in office, praying for leaders, praying for those who are, who are not saved, that we would be able to live a quiet life, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You look at the Lord Jesus, even amidst those Pharisees and, and the wicked Israel who would actually crucify him, who would lead him up to... He still said, believe! He, he, he shared for three years the truth with them, and it was only until they rejected him that he pulled away that truth from them. When they hardened their hearts and their ears were, were, were clogged because of hard hearts. He says here, all, all, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. And there are other passages I'll share, but i just show these ones, because this is not the point of our passage, but I have to address it. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing you to these things that you may not sin. Amen. Isn't God's word is what, what, what helps us not sin, right? It's, it's, the, it's the food for our relationship with Jesus. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins, not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, not everyone, but whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life, right? So... Our passage says, even denying the master who bought them. Well, they were portraying themselves to be believers, right? They were portraying themselves to be those who had bought, been bought by the master, obviously. So what's the solution? Jesus Christ's death ultimately applies to those who believe. But it is sufficient. The offer is genuine to everyone. That's all I can say. The rest, let, let God explain it to us when we get to heaven, right? His death is sufficient for all, but only efficient for those who believe. Okay? So let's not get sidetracked. That This point of our passage is that these people are introducing destructive, separating heresies, even to the point of denying Jesus. Even to the point. So let's not stray into those arguments and let's stay focused on what God is saying. So back to our passage in 2 Peter chapter 2. These false teachers who will be among you will slip in secretly, divisive, separating, destructive teaching, ruinous teaching. Ruinous teaching. And Peter elaborates later in this letter, and we're going to look at this more closely, uh, that they they will exploit you with false words. Look at verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The term... uh, False words here, or false, comes from the Greek word plastois. It's where we get our word plastic. Molded. Molded words. They're going to exploit you with fabricated, molded words. They're going to secretly move the words around to exploit you. That's what we're going to see. You look down in Second. Uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Verse 18, arrogant words of vanity. They are large, giant spiritual stuff, but it is empty. It's arrogant words of vanity. So they introduce destructive heresies, exploit you with plastic words or or molded words. And notice they also here, as I shared, speak out arrogant words of vanity or nothing. They are clouds without water. You think it's going to rain, but it doesn't rain because what they ultimately say isn't what you think they actually are going to say. It's empty. And notice they will also, with these false, empty, arrogant words, they will also attack the veracity of God's truth. The term veracity speaks of truthfulness. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come in their mocking, following after their own lust. That's a pattern for false guys. They fall after their own desires, by the way. Saying, where is the promise of his coming? They're mocking the truth of God concerning Christ coming again. Very serious. They are, they are, they are demeaning the truth of God. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was at the beginning of creation. They're mocking. And then look down at the end of, of chapter 3. In verse uh, 15, Peter says, In regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, 
as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand. By the way, some doctrine, some truth that Paul writes is hard to understand. And notice what he says here, which the untaught and unstable distort. The word means twist. They take difficult passages of Scripture and they twist them as they do the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you be carried away by the Arab and principled men you fall from your, and you fall from your steadfastness. We need to realize they take God's word, they distort it, they, they share empty and destructive words, they, they minimize and mock certain things, and they twist and distort the difficult passages of Scripture. And all of this is secretly introduced secretly it's not evident on the surface initially look at uh, jude right before revelation right before revelation jude verse three beloved while i was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation i felt the necessity to write you write to appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered once for all the saints the faith is the body of truth that we believe that was delivered to the church to the saints Verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. They snuck in. They're in, right? Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our, of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. It's secretive. They crept in unnoticed. They snuck in. There are false teachers in the church, just like there were false prophets in Israel. There are false teachers. And this is what they look like and what they will do. They will twist God's word and secretly introduce destructive, divisive heresies. That's what they will do. And it will affect our walk with Jesus. And it will be ruined if we follow that teaching. It will be ruined. We're going to see a little more in a minute. Now, notice this is serious stuff that we need to take serious because God takes it serious. Notice at the end of verse verse 1, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. The term swift means imminent. Imminent destruction. God doesn't miss it. We can see it when we see the false words. We test it with Scripture. But God doesn't miss them. He's going to take care of them. Their actions will bring upon themselves swift destruction eternal destruction as we'll say if you look down in verse 3 it says judgment is not idle destruction is not asleep verse 9 they're being kept under punishment for the day of judgment verse 12 will be destroyed verse 17 black darkness has been reserved for them god is not missing a beat false guys are in deep eternal trouble and their eternal damnation is being reserved. It's ready for them. It's imminent. It's imminent. You see, as we're going to see, for someone who has known the way of truth, they've known the truth, and to become a false teacher, having known the truth, rejecting Jesus, here, what we see is that black darkness is reserved for them. Very clearly. Their destruction, they bring destruction upon themselves. So then we must know that there are false teachers in the church. We must know they'll introduce destructive heresies. 
We must know they'll do it by secretly twisting, lessening, exploiting with false words, empty words. Their teachings will be introduced secretly and will affect your relationship with Jesus. It'll ruin it. You see, if I buy into something contrary to the word, my walk with Jesus is temporarily ruined. I'm not growing. If I buy into something different. We're going to see some examples in a few minutes here. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Well, what will the effect on the church be as this happens? Look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Many. That's speaking within the church. Within the church, many will follow their sensuality. The term will follow speaks of obeying or imitating or following after. They're going to imitate their sensuality. What does this term sensuality mean? What does it mean? Obviously, they're introducing things secretly, so they're not openly actually having sensual conduct. But he says many will fall their brand, in a sense of sensuality, their sensuality. The term sensuality is the exact same word translated licentiousness in Jude. It means without moral restraint. It speaks of lustful indulgence or wantonness, just desires. Many will follow their desires. You could say it that way. It's subtle. Instead of God's word convicting of sin, correcting that we would walk rightly with Jesus, false teachers will twist things so that there is basically an okay to sin, a license to sin, licentiousness. What false teachers do is lessen the word of God so that we're not convicted, we're not corrected, we're not trained, and we can kind of go in our way with sin in our lives. And our lives are ruined, at least our relationship with Jesus is temporarily ruined because we're not dealing with sin because the word is not convicting us of sin, it's allowing it because it's been twisted. It's been twisted. And folks, this is going on in all kinds of churches where where men have arose who are subtly twisting things. It says, many will imitate, follow after, or obey their sensuality. It's their brand, their brand of sensuality. Boy, we see this throughout the church, where believers are given a license to live in a worldly manner because of God's grace. A license to live in a worldly manner. Where churches, pastors don't address sin, but they make you feel good about Jesus through their movie clips and all sorts of junk and a verse here and there. Rather than allowing the word of God, which should convict us of our sin, because I'm so sinful, you're so sinful, we need to be convicted and then let God correct us and train us. They'll secretly introduce destructive, separating heresies. Look again down at verse 18 of chapter 2. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity... These lofty, empty words, they're lofty and empty. L- listen to an evangelical sermon on, on, go, go on a, go on the internet and listen to some of these churches. They are lofty, but there's nothing there. For speaking out lofty words, he says, arrogant words of many, they, the bad guys, entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, who, those who barely escape from the ones who live, who live in error, promising them freedom in their twisted words of saying you're going to be free from sin but they're not actually promising them true freedom because of their 
twisted words. While they themselves are slaves to corruption, for what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And guess what? And Peter, by the inspired, inspired by the Spirit, says, and many will follow their sunshine. There's going to be a ton of believers with ruined, temporarily ruined walks following their sensuality, their twisted, molded words, following their licentiousness, the green light to follow Jesus and live in sin, basically. See that? Very sad. Now, at this point, you might get discouraged. Many. Wow. And, I, and you start looking at it, you go, oh, man, it's all over the place. But don't be discouraged. God said it would happen, but don't let it happen to you. God said it would happen, but don't you be one of the many that follows. Don't you be. Because there are serious consequences for the believer who falls into twisted teaching, who lives a temporal life according to his own desires, rather than the way of truth. The way of them rather than the way of truth. Notice the other consequence. The way of truth will be maligned. Verse 2 again. And many will follow their sensuality. That's their brand of, of, of wickedness. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Many will follow their way, and the way of truth thus will be maligned. Now the them, who is that speaking of? Is it the false teachers or the people who are following? It seems to be pointing to the many that are following. You see, when believers follow a way that is not right, because of them, the right way is maligned. The way of truth. The way of truth. The term maligned speaks of spoken against or blasphemed. And how many believers do you know who are caught up in this, who speak badly about truth and times, or good churches? You see it. You see it. The way of truth will be reviled or spoken against. True believers are letting God's word weed out sin and make them more like Jesus. And these bad guys are trying to exploit people to follow their own desires in the context of following Jesus. But it's done secretly. They secretly introduce destructive heresies and many are going to follow and fall into it. And the way of the truth will be maligned. I find this true. I see it. People caught up in worldly churches, seductively led by false teaching, air that has snuck in. Inevitably, those who mock good churches. Very sad, but God said it would happen. God said it would happen. So then we must understand that teachers will come in among us. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, teaching that separates us in a sense from Jesus in our walk with him. They will do it through molded plastic words, twisting scripture, arrogant words of vanity. And we need to understand that many will follow their brand of licentiousness and the way of truth will be maligned. But why would someone do these things? Why would someone deliberately do this? Look in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. We get to the root of what's going on inside the bad guys. And Peter will elaborate on it later on in this whole chapter. We'll see it. But this is a summary statement. In their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. The term greed could be translated covetousness. It speaks of an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, position, or gratification. 
in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I think greed is a good translation. This is what's going on inside. This is why they do it. Look at uh, 2 Peter 2.14. Just down a little bit. Having eyes, this is the bad guys, having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, and look at this, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Their hearts are trained in greed. And guess what? They love the paycheck they get for what they do. They love the wages of it, whether it's money, whether it's gratification, whether it's elevation or power. They love it, and that's why they do it. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. This is an interesting term translated exploit. It literally means to carry on business. To carry on business. Their business, what they do is to exploit you with false words. Plastic molded words, that's their business because they're greedy. They love the wages that they get from doing it. They love what they get out of it. Their intense, sinful, selfish desire for wealth, power, position, gratification, whatever it is that drives them in that, it's their business to exploit you. You see a false teacher introducing false things to get people to fall after lusts, gain wealth, prominence, sexual gratification. This is their business. This is what they do. It's what they do. We need to see this. And they love the paycheck they get for their sin. Like Balaam. Those who, are not, not, those who do not love Jesus, although they might say they do, they love the paycheck they get for their sin. As they carry on the business, week in and week out, of exploiting you with false words. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we need to see how wicked these people are. Men who teach God's word, secretly introducing destructive heresies, falsely twisting scripture so as to turn God's grace into a license to sin. That's what's going on. This is what drives them. Their daily business of sin is what drives that is greed. Is greed. And you might say, this is depressing. And it is, right? These bad guys in the true church and many following. That's depressing. It's depressing. What can be done about it? Well, we're going to see in our study of Second Peter chapters 2 and 3 that we need to be on guard lest we to be captive, be held captive by the error of unprincipled men and we fall from our steadfastness. We need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. So these false teachers will be among you, secretly destructive heresies, twisted teachings. Many will follow after them. The way of truth will be maligned. They do it because they're driven by their accursed, greedy hearts. And that's their business, to exploit believers. That's their business. So what's God going to do about this? What's God going to do about this? Look at the end of verse 3. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. God says through Peter, their judgment is not as long ago not idle. It means their judgment is not it's not, it's not just sitting there doing nothing. It is hanging over their heads. It is right there, ready to happen. Their judgment is right there, right there. 
and their destruction is not asleep or drowsy. They're going to be destroyed. They haven't slipped from God's imminent judgment. He hasn't forgotten about it. It's not idle. It's not asleep. As we saw earlier, it is imminent. It is imminent. They are being kept, verse 9, under punishment for the day of judgment. We'll see that just like those in the Old Testament who are being kept. They're being reserved also for punishment. They will be destroyed, verse 12. Black darkness has been reserved for them, verse 17. Eternal punishment in hell is assured for these people. It is assured. And it doesn't appear in any way, shape, or form that God says they're going to repent and be saved. Because later on, in verse 15, they forsook the right way. They understood it. They had knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, verse 20. And they went the way of Balaam to, by their greed, exploit God's people. Their judgment is sure. It is sure. That's why we don't try to mess or redeem false teachers. We don't try to mess, we don't try to, not, not mess, but try to, we don't mess around with them. We don't try to talk them into doing the right thing. We, be aware, we need to be aware and stay away, as we're going to see. Stay away. So, brothers and sisters, we have seen that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus, through his precious and magnificent promises. Everything we need for our relationship with Jesus is in his word. Everything we need. And Satan wants to attack that relationship, that we would be ineffective, that we would not be useful, that we would be unfruitful. And how he attacks it is through a subtle attack on the word of God. And we see those attacks come in the context of turning God's grace into a license to sin, licentiousness, sensuality, whatever it might be. So we've seen here that there are going to be these bad false teachers in the church. It's an absolute certainty, just as there were false prophets. We've seen what they do. They twist, lessen, mold their words so as to pervert the scriptures. They are in the business of exploiting believers with false plastic words. These arrogant words of vanity. Just listen to sermons of some of these preachers. You'll hear it. We have seen many will follow their licentiousness. Many will buy into it because it's a green light to follow Jesus and keep sinning. Following your desires. At least they think. And we've seen that the way of truth will be maligned. It'll be spoken against because of them. We've seen that the false teachers do it because they're greedy. They're accursed children having hearts trained in greed. They want pleasure, money, power, prestige, whatever it might be, and they love the wage they get for exploiting believers. They love it. They love it. The wages of unrighteousness. But their judgment is imminent. It is not asleep. It is not idle. They are going to be judged. And that's what the rest of chapter 2 is about, how bad they are and how God is not missing a beat, that they are going to be judged. They're going to be judged. So how are we to respond? Well, first of all, this is a warning that we need to watch out for those who would subtly twist the word, secretly introduce destructive heresies. We need to test everything and hold fast to that which is good, right? We need to test the word of God which we hear. The Bereans, they tested what the Apostle Paul said, and they were counted as more noble than those in Thessalonica. They tested what was said by the word of God. We need to watch out for those who would twist the word in such a way that would give us an opening 
to continue in sinful attitudes, actions, or behaviors. An opening to have heart attitudes that are wrong. An opening to live a life that is not in accordance with God's word. So subtle. We need to be on guard for those who would introduce destructive heresies. And how are we on guard? We need to be fed the word of God that we would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in deceitful scheming. Lest we fall. Lest we fall from our steadfastness. And many have fallen from their steadfastness, by the way. Many. Many. There are some of you here today who have a ruined relationship with Jesus because you have fallen for teaching that is not ultimately from God, but from man. You've been given a green light by so-called believers who say so much about Jesus, but do not address sin. You need to confess and repent. God will restore you. You will be forgiven. And brothers and sisters, those of us who stand, we need to take heed that we do not fall, that we do not fall from our steadfastness. I want to close again with the exhortation that Peter gives in the end of chapter 3. Let's turn there. Chapter 3. In light of these people who, the untaught and unstable, distort the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction, he says in verse 17, You therefore, chapter 3, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing that these people are going to rise and do this stuff, knowing they're going to do it, He says, be on your guard, lest you be carried away by the air of unprincipled men. You fall from your own steadfastness. But instead of that, in the context of this book, through the word of God, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us, that you warn us about the threats that will come in the church. And I pray for anyone who has a who's had a ruined relationship with you temporarily because they bought into this type of licentiousness through false teachers. I pray they would repent, be restored. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are walking with you that we would be on guard lest we be taken captive by the air of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness. I pray we grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son instead. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for your Son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.